Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. When Diane was 18, she was a young woman with a big future. So why did she fall victim to drugs? Diane shares the trap that she fell into and how she's going to help stop others falling into that trap, even when she's no longer around, even in 100 years' time, even in 200 years' time. She's going to help others to stop falling into that trap. How? Well, she's going to share that now, along with her story. So, Diane, can you think back to when you were a kid and was there a specific good memory that you have from way back then? Yes, I do have a couple of great memories as a child. And it's a great question, Chris. The the one in particular was a, a man down the street who lived about five doors down from our house in Lilypilly. And his name was Mr. Smiley. Mr. and Mrs. Smiley lived in this beautiful house that was covered in ivy and so was the garden. And the garden was just like a magic treasure for me. And when wow. I'd go down there and knock on the door, both of them, ridiculous the name Smiley but that was their real name they would just welcome me and he taught me how the two of them him and his wife taught me how to play chess and how to play um, miniature bowls and (laughs) then they would let me go into their magic garden and that is a beautiful beautiful memory I have as a child isn't that fantastic I I have one other memory as a child that really epitomizes where my life tragically was going to move towards. And it's a little story about addiction. Yeah. As, as a child, I believe addiction is a disease. And I don't know that if we're born with it or our life events create, I guess, the recipe to move into addiction. Yeah. But I remember having this best friend And one day we realized that you could cash bottles in and get money for them. Oh, we used to do that when I was a kid as well. (laughs) So it wasn't just one bottle that I decided that we would take up to the shop. We got the wheelbarrow. We filled up the wheelbarrow till the bottles were nearly tipping out of it. And then we got one handle each and helped each other push this wheelbarrow right up (laughs) Lilypilly Point Road to the corner shop. Now, that might just be a normal story and we might end it there, but no, we cashed it in and then we got bags and bags of lollies. Sugar. Yeah, that's, that's what I used to do. <laughs> We'd go, I'd go down to the factory, which had all these empty bottles all over the yard, and we'd climb over the fence and grab them all and take them up and get one cent or two cent, two cents for each one or whatever. Uh, well, I did... I did. I did something very similar, and that was I would climb over. We would then go over to the scout hall and climb over the fence and take bottles from them. So that was probably my first act of not doing the right thing. Now, my conscience told me that that wasn't right, but that was my nature to go to any length, which is very typical of the disease of addiction. Yeah. Without without thinking about consequences. Now, that possibly is an epitome of how my addiction ended up. I would go to any length. It was like the Coca-Cola sign had flashing lights at King's Cross in Sydney, flashing lights calling me to go looking for something outside of myself to give me some type of relief for my inner world, my inner being. It was like I had a 
spiritual void inside of me that I had no idea how to fulfill. Yeah. And so I went looking for people, places, and things in particular, drugs, to fill that hole. Wow. Where did it lead you? Oh, it led me to a place that is a parent's worst nightmare. It led me to the darkest caves in Sydney that you would not want your daughter to go into. It led me to, I think the worst thing for me was leading, leaving, leading a double life. Yeah, yeah. A life where I couldn't be honest anymore with myself, let alone the people that loved me. So there was so much shame attached to my addiction. Wow. How long were you in that sort of lifestyle? That lifestyle, my addiction started around the age of 17 and finished when I was 21. So why did it finish? What was it that led you to finishing that, to stopping it? My life had become a train wreck. I'd become a train wreck in my own life. My dealer who we were getting drugs from, had gone away. And so I couldn't I couldn't feel my daily habit. I couldn't get the drugs that I needed to feel normal. I was waking up and taking a drug to feel normal, to get up and do whatever it was I needed to do that day. That is when you're in addiction. When you are depending on a drug to, to move into your life, that is addiction. So for me, that was my point of no return. We're talking to Diane about her story of coming out of addiction and how she's going to help stop others from falling into the same trap, even when she's no longer around. I, I actually thought leading up to that that I was in control and I could stop and start, which is a, a fallacy that many people, I believe, go into, that they can control addiction, that, that the addiction hasn't got them. But I had got to a place where I would feel sick and I, I just couldn't function. So I tried to home detox myself. My parents had gone away. I could not. I had a little dog at that time. I could not even cope looking after the dog, let alone looking after myself. I had moved back into my parents' home at that point and they'd asked me to look after the house and I I really just didn't do that. I had people, every, you know, it was like a 24-7, 24 hours, everyday party in that house. Wow. Uh, like one of those movies that you see on TV where yeah. anyone and anyone does whatever they like. There was no respect left. Oh, no. And then I, re- I really did want to stop. I didn't, I didn't like what I was doing, but I didn't know how to stop. And then one night I prayed. I prayed. And I just looked up into the stars and I said, God, help. And I believe that was my moment of surrender. I just said, that was it. God, help. Really? And, and the thought was, how do I get off this merry-go-round? I was in a cycle. I didn't know how to stop, and I couldn't see myself for what I was. And then that prayer, that moment of submission, that moment of surrender, it was almost like the Red Sea parted, 
And within 24 hours, my parents had returned. A, a very good friend who'd once been my first boyfriend had told my father that I was very sick. He told him that I was an addict, that I was using heroin, and that I needed help. And I went back to a place when he told me that, when my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend had told me that, I went back to feeling like I was seven years old and that I would be in trouble, found out. Emotionally, I'd stopped growing from about the age seven and I'd gone back to that place and I thought my father would scream, carry on, I'd be in trouble, I'd get a belting. And in fact, it was the complete opposite. That night, my father prayed with me. He took his chain off his neck, which has St. Christopher on it, that he's worn since his father died. Yeah. He put it on my neck and that night, something my father would never have done, cuddled me and prayed, Jesus, Mother Mary, help her. Wow. And that simple prayer changed my life. The next morning we got up. He had looked in the phone book. So we're going back to 1983 when we used phone books. And in the front of the phone book, there was the Salvation Army with a help number for a rehabilitation program called William Booth Institute, 56 Albion Street, Surrey Hills, 9212300. I still remember the number. Can I ask you, Diane, um, as we jump forward in your story, because we've got such a limited time on air, um, is that why, when you came out of addiction, is that why you decided to leave something for them in your will? Why wouldn't I want to leave something in the will, my will, for the Salvation Army who changed my life, gave me a haven, gave me an education, gave me my life back, gave me an opportunity, gave me a whole new way to make a connection with myself, to trust other people, to trust God, to invite God in. It seems, it just seems the most natural thing to do for me is to want to give back to the Salvation Army. It, it seems like the most natural thing. Wow. Because you'll be obviously helping people in perpetuity, you know, and and when you're no longer around, when I'm no longer around, the people who are around are going to be helped because of you. Well, I would like to think that. And I would also like to think that my gift may help just one life. Yeah. Like someone else's bequest. It gave me my life. If it wasn't for the people who had put the Salvation Army in their will before 1983, where might I be? People were doing this for me a long time ago, and here we are in 2020, and it's the simplest thing to do. Yeah. 
and what a legacy to leave behind. Well, it is about what I can do today to help others in a very practical way. And you're absolutely right. I won't be here forever. So it's the most natural thing I can do is to put the Salvation Army, which I have done in my will. So when I am in the mystery with God, that my hope is that another life or many lives can change. That's Diane's story. We'd love you to share your story. Email us from our website, salvos.org.au forward slash radio. The Salvos Weekly Radio Show.